Uh, good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, again, my name is Glenn. If you're visiting with us for maybe the first time, uh, or if you haven't heard that before, one of the pastors, elders here at the Rock Church, it is great to have you with us online this Sunday. A couple of quick announcements before we get into our final message in the Identity series this morning. One is we are starting today a brand new live streaming service. Some of you I know are already on it. That's awesome. Uh, we are simultaneously broadcasting on Facebook Live, which we will continue to do uh, in the future, I believe, for some time. But if you're not checking it out or haven't checked it out yet, you could go to online.therocksquamish.com and you would see our new live streaming service that is right on our church website. And therefore, we have a private chat function, prayer rooms, and uh, yeah, so we wanted to start that today, and we've been praying that the technology would go fine, and so far, it's, it's so far so good. It's great. Uh, so that's wonderful. Second announcement is um, next Sunday. Uh, thank you, Lord. Uh, we will begin once again with registration gathering here at the Legend Community Coffee House for Sunday Church. Amen? <laughs> oh my, I tell you. So uh, we'll uh, let you know during the week uh, how many people and, and, and the registration process and so forth will let you know, but we are so much looking forward to being with you next Sunday, some of you anyway, here in person in our building in downtown Squamish. And at the same time, of course, continuing to live stream uh, for those of you who can't get in on that registration or are home for whatever reason. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please open them to the book of Ephesians, uh, we will get to chapter 4 soon, I promise, okay? Uh, we're going to be completing today and concluding our identity series, A Journey to Discover Your True Self. Um, and as I said each week so far, I'm going to repeat a few things today. This three-part series is just the beginning of the journey. Uh, the, 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 the point that I think the Holy Spirit and that God put on my heart uh, for us was that before we try in any way, shape, or form to care for those people in our lives, uh, in our world, in our community who are struggling with identity. And, and as again, please hear me, I've been saying through this series, we all are. <laughs> that we as Christians, those who uh, have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we, we need to really know who we are. And, and I, I've been hearing back from people throughout this series that there's, there have been some foundational things coming through that people are going, huh, okay. Right, I, I think I knew that, but now I'm hoping I know it a little bit more deeply. So this is a, it's a lifelong journey, and Rudy and I have been praying, and we'll get into it maybe a little bit later, about what we can do as a series following on from this. But part of the, that was to say to ourselves as pastors, as preachers and teachers, something we probably should have been aware of a long time ago, and I think we were, but I think now we're more focused on it. And that is, is that every sermon, every word that is preached and story about Jesus or from the scripture, there should be some teaching and application that's related to our sanctification. This point in our lives from the day that we are regenerated through the power of the Holy Spirit, literally born again, we now begin, and we've been saved from the penalty of sin. We, we have been saved, as we'll see today again. But now we're on this journey. It's a lifelong journey of allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us into our true self. And so a little bit of background here for those of you who are watching for the first time today, but also some, we're going to need to do some recapping. In week one, we considered a few foundational biblical truths that I really felt we needed to know. 
and believe as we consider identity and discovering our true self. Last week, we dove more deeply into the ways in which we have formed false identities, every one of us, and how falling back into our old nature or old self prevents us from the transformational work of the Spirit and from growing into our true self. So finally today, this week, my hope is we will conclude uh, that we will discover how our true self, how our true identity gives us the meaning and purpose in this life that God intends for us through our calling and vocation. Remember those two words. That's the big idea for today. So again, quick recap of where we've been. I I mentioned as we were praying this morning to the team here this morning that I think the recap is necessary because we we need to see these things in layers. There's some foundational aspects that we've seen in the first two weeks, and then when we hear this today, it's to build on top of that. So, quick recap. First, we saw from Genesis 1, 26 to 28, that God created us, every human being on the planet, in His image. He created us, Scripture teaches us, male and female, And in that, we found our primary identity. Our meaning and purpose in life and identity is to be, every one of us, image bearers of God. That was his intention. I said was, past tense, still is his intention. We have here also our first job description as well for both men and women, and that is we are to be good stewards of God's creation. So again, remember that, job description. It's important when we look at calling and vocation today. Our second primary identity is to multiply and fill the earth with more image bearers. This is also a job description, that we are to fill the earth with more image bearers. And I thought about this after the first couple of weeks. Some of you might be saying, well, hey, just a second, I'm single, uh, uh, not married, so, or married and don't have kids, and, or whatever the circumstances might be. And, and the reality is, is regardless The plan of God was that through male and female, we would be married and we would produce more children who would be image bearers of God and fill the earth with people who would bear his image, reflect him, and glorify him and honor him. So we all actually, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, moms and dads, grandparents, etc., can be part of that. We can be part of that. And that's his intention. And so then we also have seen in Genesis 2, God instituting marriage without which, of course, multiplying would never take place. And we saw in Genesis 2, 24, the words, Therefore a man, these are the words of God, shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, secondly, we learned that our true self does actually exist already. That, that might be a little bit surprising to some of us at first when we hear that, because again, most of us have been on this journey in our lives trying to figure out who we are. And, and, and trying to identify as something that uh, we love or appreciate or we want others to love and appreciate about us. But the truth is, God already knew our true self before we were, in fact, born. He had it for us before we were born. And again, I'll put the verse from Jeremiah 1.5 on screen for you because it's so beautiful. Think about it again. He says, this is God speaking To the prophet Jeremiah, before I formed you, Jeremiah, in your mother's womb, I knew you, Glenn, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet 
to the nations. He knew our true self. Our true self exists. The idea of the Christian life is we're on a journey to get there. Never fully in this life, sadly, but one day, one day, if you're in Christ, you will find your true self. So we learned that everything changes or should for us once we are in Christ. We truly are, and this is where we get this whole concept, and some of you have heard it before, born again. We are born again. And when we hear the words of the Apostle Paul, we discover our identity, and at the same time that our old self, look at this, must, is supposed to pass away. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we know, or, or we should, and we've learned that these words are true. But we also know the truth about ourselves. We do. Our old self, which is rooted in our old nature, is still alive and not so well, but our position, our standing before God has been made perfect by Jesus Christ, by what he has done through the work of the cross, even though in this life our practice our practice oftentimes does reflect our old self. But the good news is, we are on this journey, this Christian life. And if we open our hearts and our minds to the truth about, first, who God is, secondly, what He has done, we will discover who we were, past tense, because it's important to reflect on that, as Paul's doing in the teachings that he shows us, but also who we now are in Christ. And then through the transformation of the Holy Spirit, our lives, we will know out of that how then we should live. The good life, really, this life that he has for us. So that's the, that what we've been looking at the last week, especially this position and practice. So just like your true self already exists before God formed you in your mother's womb, your truth also exists, your true self already exists now if in, you are in Christ. Meaning, meaning he has saved you from the penalty of sin and the Holy Spirit has regenerated you and your heart and you now are able more to live for him. Your position then is perfect. I know I'm repeating myself, but I think this is important. It's perfect. Your true self and identity is found to be as a son or a daughter of the Father, an heir to everything that Jesus has been given by the Father, and the Holy Spirit guarantees that to you today and for your eternal future. It's guaranteed. It belongs to you. That's who you are. And so finally last week, we learned that we, as a result of the fall, our earthly parents, uh, Adam and Eve, two of the only three people in all of history who lived as their true selves for how long we do not know. Imagine that. Imagine that. For a period of time, Adam and Eve, and of course, the other person is Jesus, who always lived that way. But for a period of time, they lived as their true selves. Scripture doesn't tell us. Was that a week? A month? We don't know. But they knew their true selves at one point in time in their lives. It's a beautiful picture. 
for how long we don't know, who, who when given, however, the opportunity we read in Genesis 3 to continue trusting God and trusting his word to them and for them, which is what his word is about, they believed the lie, sadly, that they could be just like God. And at that very moment, we've seen and we should see, they died to their true self. Just as God said would happen. They died to their true self. Everything that was perfect, everything related to creation, everything as a result of that sin was no longer perfect. Everything that God had planned for human flourishing died in some way, shape, or form. Their relationship with God was separated, with each other became contentious as husband and wife emotionally and sexually. Finally, then, last week, we did the hard work, very hard work, of looking at our sin, at our old self, and we learned that the good news of the gospel is that despite the fact that we still sin, despite whatever we do, God continues to deeply love us. I love what Tim Keller has said so many times in different ways, but it's, it's that you and I are more desperately wicked, Scripture teaches that, than we can possibly imagine, but we are also more deeply loved than we can possibly believe. It doesn't change, friends. I hope you know that. I hope you know that. But it's a problem for us, for some of us, in the way that we perceive God. It's contrary to how some Christians actually think. They, they actually have been taught to believe. I know in my earlier life, when I was, quite frankly, part of another religion, a works-based religion, the idea is when I sinned, God was angry with me. And he was looking for a way to punish me. Or worse, take his love away from me. And I would have to earn it back. That's not the God of the Bible. Good news? I hope you feel it is. It's not possible that he'd be that way. I want to quote for you once again uh, David Benner from his book, The Gift of Being Yourself, where he says this, Knowing ourselves must, therefore, begin by knowing the self that is known by God. Genuine self-knowledge begins by looking at God and noticing how God is looking at us. Yes, he is looking at us when we are doing good and when we're not. Grounding our knowing of ourself in God's knowing of us anchors us in reality. It also anchors us in God. Knowing that we are deeply loved and forgiven, he can begin the work, continuing work, of transforming us. And so a couple of things before we move on to our subject for today. We're almost there, trust me. First, like the Apostle Paul said last week, remember that from Romans 7, where 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 he said at one point, 20 years into his walk with Jesus, planting churches, writing epistles, he said, I don't know what's going on here. What is wrong with me? I know the Word of God. I have the Holy Spirit. I know what I'm supposed to be doing, and I don't do it. And then I also realize what I shouldn't be doing, I'm still doing. And so that's a great confession, isn't it? Because it's the same for me, and I'm sure you would admit it's the same for you. So the reality is then, like Paul, I think we too can get frustrated with ourselves. A little bit, right? Maybe even God, frustrated with God for our lack of growth. Those seemingly stagnant or stuck times and periods in our life that we all experience. 
And this leads me to a second point on that point, and that is this. Depending on how old you are, how long you've been living in your own identity, your own false identity, an identity that you made for yourself, well, it's not going to go away overnight. When the Christian life gets difficult, and it will, we tend to revert. This, this, this was working. It was, it's not working anymore, or not as well as I thought it would. God, what's going on? And then what do we do? Well, we trust again in our old life. So now add that to the fact, or add to that, the fact that we still live in a fallen and broken world. We're still struggling with the world, the flesh, and the devil, as the Scripture teaches us. This enemy who wants us to continue to buy the lie about who we are and are in God, or we could be apart. He wants us to believe the lie that we can do that apart from God on our own, which is what he convinced Adam and Eve of. And so we still have that to deal with because it's real. It's real in your life. It's real in my life. And it's certainly real in the word, in the world. I love, uh, I was reading a new book. I want to tell you a little bit about this morning. It's amazing how God brings these things into your life and, and times. Uh, I feel it's the Holy Spirit doing this. It's written by uh, the late David Polison, who was a teacher, counselor, uh, executive director of CCEF. Some of you know that organization, the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. He wrote a book that's called How Does Sanctification Work, which is amazing. But in that book, he referred to it in a way that I really like. And not just sanctification, but he called it progressive sanctification. In other words, it's a transforming, it's an ongoing teaching. In his book that I just mentioned, he explains that like the word save, sanctify has a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense. In the past tense, and we've been over this in different ways, and that's why I love new languaging, which is intended to help us be able to see these truths more deeply and better. He's saying in the past tense, your sanctification has already happened. You are a saint in Christ the moment you are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. An identity, by the way, which neither you or I can take any credit for. Amen? <laughs> we didn't do anything. That's why it's called a free gift. God decisively acted by making you his very own son or daughter in Christ. He did it. He chose you. He's doing the work. Therefore, you have been saved. Past tense right? In the present tense, your sanctification is now being worked out. God is working throughout your life on a scale of days, weeks, months, years, and yes, sometimes it feels like he's taken his time, and yet maybe we're just not helping him very much, or part of that process as we should, to remake you and I into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ, and into our true self, the self that he has for you and I. And so you and I are being progressively sanctified, progressively saved. So you are being saved. In the future tense, your sanctification will be perfected. This is the part about it that I, I don't know about you, but I really, really love. And so the final tense, the future tense of sanctification and your salvation is that one day, friends, you and I, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, will be saved from the very presence of of sin. It's pretty hard to imagine how wonderful and how beautiful that is going to be. 
the reality often is that our true self is actually the opposite of your old self. Let me repeat that. That might be shocking. The reality is often that our true self that God has for us is an exact opposite or is the exact opposite of our old self. But the reality is sometimes I believe we refuse to see that or accept that it might actually be true. Your true self is who in reality you are right now if you are in Christ and who you are becoming or supposed to be becoming. It's not something that you and I need to construct through a process of self-improvement or deconstruct by means of psychoanalysis. Truth is, we do not find ourself by seeking it. Think about that. We don't find ourselves by seeking it. Rather, we find it by seeking God. It's the paradoxical logic behind this incredible verse from the mouth of Jesus when he said to his disciples in Matthew 10, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is a paradox. This is an amazing statement. I want to help you unpack it just briefly before we move on. And that is to say this. The universal truth, we've been through this already, for all of us is that when we are born, we don't know who we are. We don't know our identity. As we've seen throughout this series, throughout the series, we acquire our identity as a result, primarily of others who mold us to be, who they, who they think would be the best us, tell us to be, or who we eventually want to identify as. We, we all do that. And we do it because we want to be seen a certain way. Jesus says here, paradoxically, he says this, if you have already, when you come to me, found your own identity or think you have, and it's not the identity, the true self that God created you to be, you will eventually lose that identity. Why? Why? Well, because the truth is, False identities always disappoint. They will always fail you, fail us. It's why so many people in our world and culture over decades are identifying this way. Oh, oh this, is de- oh, this, this self-help, this religion, this way is now how I identify. We keep searching and searching for something that'll work. On the other hand, Jesus is saying... If you are willing to lose the identity that you currently have as you come to me, that you have built for yourself, if you're willing to let that that identity, just, just for the moment, hopefully longer, die for the sake of the identity, the true self that I have for you, well, then you will, he's promising, find your true self. One verse, powerful verse. Now we're going to move to Ephesians 4. And to the conclusion, really, of our series here, as we look at our calling. You'll remember, I think it was in uh, week one, I told you the the paradoxical story of how uh, I used to see the book of Ephesians, I still do, uh, as a typical Pauline epistle where he, in the first three verses, talks about doctrine. These are the teachings, sound teaching, this is what you need to know. And then the last three uh, chapters, pardon me, are about uh, duty. So 
this is what you need to know, and this is then what you need to do. And, and then realizing through my sabbatical, but also studying it, that it also can be seen this way, and I think it, it is, and really helpful for our series, that the first three, three chapters of Ephesians are about our identity. And that's why in the first two weeks, we've been looking at that. Who we are now, perfected, not quite yet perfectly. And then looking at our old self last week, our identity, and, and how we can move towards our true self. So the last three chapters are beautiful because they're about our calling. Now, we won't be able to go into this in depth today, three chapters. Some of you would like to have lunch sooner than later. So let me just say this to you. Read, after we finish today, chapter 5 and chapter 6. Because we're not going to go there today. But what you're going to find in there is that everything about life is there. It's about, yes, singleness is actually there. Uh, marriage is there. Sure, parenting and children are there. Your employment and masters and slaves, but really bosses and employees is there. And then spiritual warfare and the things that you and I are up against. So I want to read the first seven verses for you of chapter four, and then we'll unpack that a little bit uh, as we see uh, what we want to learn today about our calling in our new identity in Christ. Read with me. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Paul wants us to know, the Holy Spirit who inspired him to write these words, wants us to know that our new identity is not static, and as we've already discovered based on the ideas of position and practice, it's not fully realized yet and will not be until we are with Christ. That said, the knowledge that our new identity and our true self does actually exist should, should, friends, propel us forward, giving us direction for our life. And it's right here. It's, it's here. This is everything that you and I need for faith and for life. It's right here. Everything we need. I think that's sometimes a surprise to people. We, it, it, this is still the bestseller of all time. You know that, right? It, it, it is, despite the bestseller list on Amazon or chapters or Indigo, whatever it might be. It's still the bestseller. And yet, oftentimes, even as Christians, we put it aside and we go to chapters or Indigo and look for some other kind of help. I just want to encourage you with that. So look again at this. In these first seven verses, you see it, right? Look at, look at the words here. Just, let, let's just go over them carefully with you. Paul's like, I urge you. The Greek there is a little bit like, come on, I'm pleading with you. He's pleading with himself, but he's urging them to walk. Paul uses that word a lot in his epistles and his letters, and it's, he's not talking about going you know, along the four legs trail. It's not what he's talking about. It's not a walk. What he means by walk is your way of life. The minute you get up in the morning and as soon as you walk out of your front door and you go to work, whatever you're doing, it's about your walk. It's about your life. It's about what you do. And then he says, look at this, in a manner worthy. Hi. 
in a manner worthy of your calling. Manner worthy. Man, I, I, re- I read those words and I'm like, okay, sounds important, and it, and it is because it's, do we fully understand the manner in which Jesus has saved us? We are called because of what he's done, because of his death on the cross. And this is what Paul is urging us to do. That you, and then look, he goes on, to which you have been called. And then he follows that up with, and with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So it's, it's not just that's how you walk, it's, 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 and you should look this way. People like to use the phrase, let your walk do your talking. Okay, if, you wanna, if that wants to be your simple motto, fine. That's what it's supposed to look like. That's how it's supposed to talk out as well. But there's more. He goes on and says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. So what is it? What is this thing that you and I are called to as, again, listen, our true selves? Not our false selves, but as our true selves. It's a big distinction because this won't get us there. That's not what we're called to. We're only called to our calling, as we'll see this morning, over here as new creations in Christ, as our true selves. So I want to show you a few things that we're called to. Number one, we are called to love. (laughs) We, you and I, who have been and are more deeply loved, as we've been seeing in this series, than we can ever imagine, we too are called to love. You will remember the time when Jesus was asked by a uh, lawyer, believe it or not, one of the religious leaders in uh, the Jewish faith at that time. And it was one of these, they'd all been lining up questions for him, and this guy comes up to Jesus and goes, it's essentially a question going, okay, look, this is all great, but, you know, could you just simplify it for me, for us? If there's one thing, one thing that we need to focus on to uh, inherit eternal life or to be accepted and approved by God, what would it be? Right? And, uh, you know, like these guys all know the law. They all know the, the, the Ten Commandments. They all know these things. And you'll remember what Jesus said, right? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Don't have time, but it's so brilliant because Jesus just summarized the whole Ten Commandments there, didn't he? (laughs) Loving God, first four. Loving others, next. In the simplest terms then, we are called to be true human beings. God, when he created us, created us in love. He created us to go forth and multiply and love. That's what he created us to do. It's exactly what we were created for. This was the life that Adam and Eve experienced before the fall and would have if they had not sinned. Now, I think most of us would like to say, well, that's a great calling. We could just stop there, right? Because that, I'm capable of loving others. The, the word is actually, I, I, don't, I think there was a, a rap band or a Christian band many years ago. It's terrible. But they, they, they had a lyric that, that, you know, love is a verb or, you know, it's an action, right? It is, actually. It, it requires action to... Secondly, you and I are called to 
follow. We are called as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, to follow Him, of course. Just like the first disciples of Jesus were called to follow Him, right? Not ourselves. We're not to follow ourselves. We're not to follow the world, nor this author or podcaster or self-help guru. No, one person. Jesus. Rudy and I, as I've been saying already, have been thinking about, praying about how to follow up this series, where to go next, and, and the ideas. We haven't completely formulated the title, even though Rudy's going to begin it next week, but loosely titled... Gospel stories. Gospel stories. In in that series, we will, every week, six or seven weeks, we're thinking, see, hear, hopefully know Jesus better and what it truly looks like to follow him by just paying attention, not just to what he said, but to the events surrounding what he's saying and who he's saying it to and what they're saying it to him and see ourselves as following him in that way. You'll also remember as well how he called his disciples, right? When he called them, he said, follow me and I will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? You got that book? You got that chapter and verse? I don't know. Yeah, I know. It's corny. Uh, It's okay. He didn't say that, did he? Or he said, follow me and I will make you popular. Or I will bring you the spouse that you've always wanted. No, he didn't. He said this, follow me and I will make you. Transform you into fishers of men. Hey, Peter, James, you guys, fishermen, hey, tell you what, you know how you've been catching fish? (laughs) Follow me and I will teach you how to catch men and women. Catch people who are lost to come and follow me. So he discipled them and for a period, and, and he trained them for a period of three years to do what he was calling them to do. It's instructive, really instructive for us today to see that he didn't just wave a wand and say, done, you're ready to go. See you later. My work here is done. Go. I I just made you into immediately. No, no, he took them on a road trip, I like to say, and he showed them day by day what good ministry, what making disciples who make disciples looks like. We're called, you and I are called to follow Jesus in exactly the same way. Now again, called to love, called to follow Jesus, it's all good, right? Man, this could be an easy walk, this Christian walk. There's a third. You and I are called to go. We're called to go and make disciples. Again, the verse that you all know, or verses you all know, Matthew 28, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. So from this, of course, we we get what we refer to as the Great Commission, the mission statement for the whole church, every single one of us. But in these three powerful verses, we see more about our new identity, don't we? I mean, first, we are sent with power. Jesus has all authority. He has all power, and he's sending us in power. In fact, later he will say to the disciples, look, wait here in Jerusalem until I send you that power. Who? The Holy Spirit. Second, we see that we are disciple makers. That's my job description that we're being given, part of our identity, part of our true self. 
But the most significant revelation here is the threefold aspect of our new identity as listen. We've been over this before. Family, missionaries, and servants. When Jesus says you are being baptized and baptize them, pardon me, into the name of the Father, he's talking about we're being named into the family of God as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We're, we're now children of God, sons and daughters of God. We're family. You might even find it on our website somewhere where it says we are a family of missionary servants. When you're baptized in the name of Jesus, what's happening there? You, you, you're being named as a servant of whom? King Jesus. It's your identity. You're a child in a family, you're a servant of King Jesus, and then the Father and the Son send us in the power of the Holy Spirit as missionaries, as missionaries. <laughs> now, some of you may be thinking, I don't know, I don't know. This sounds right and all that, but I, I just, I don't know, I don't feel qualified, you know, like uh, to do this kind of work uh, in many ways to live out this calling. Well, again, Jesus goes on, and Paul goes on, pardon me, in Ephesians 4 to let us know that he sent his Holy Spirit, but also that Jesus did this. In Ephesians 4.11, he says, and he, Jesus, gave and gives, it's a present perfect tense, the prophets, the apostles, pardon me, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all maintain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to, to mature manhood and womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. So we, again, have been over this before, but let me highlight it for you. Jesus gives gifted men and women to the church who have apostolic, uh, prophetic, evangelistic, teaching and shepherding gifts. Those who continue the work of Jesus to equip those who are following Jesus and part of the church to become fishers of men and women. So now be sure you see this. My job then, as a pastor, teacher, shepherd, whatever gifting you may say that I have, my job description, my role in the church is to equip you for the work of ministry. So we're all called. We're all called to the work of ministry, and we're all called to love, to follow, and to go and make disciples of Jesus. So, let's unpack that a little bit as we come to our conclusion this morning, because I hope you to see something really important about your calling. A more theologically robust and rooted word for calling is the word vocation. However, today in our modern career-oriented or career-focused world, we now, we now have been taught to see these things as separate or distinct or different, even in the church. We might ask ourselves when considering a career, is God calling me into this? That's actually a good question. Is God calling me to live here, move there, marry this person, not marry this person, do this kind of work? It's, it's, it's a good question. And the reason why it's a good question is because work is important to God. Again, that's why he created us. You know, it's before the fall that he created us to care for his creation and to work before the fall. It wasn't, it's, it's not a punishment, this work thing, okay? It's not. Let's just make sure we understand that. 
So once again, remember that from the garden. One of the primary roles that he gave us and that defines our identity is that we were created to work. The thing is, in our day and even in the church, we've come to see these, as I've mentioned already, as separate. There's my calling, maybe in my church life or in my, my home, in my family, in that private sphere of my life. But then there's, you know, unless I'm, in, of course, in a full-time ministry role, then my work, my vocation is separate. But listen, I'm, I want to really be boldly saying it to you this way. I don't believe that's the way Jesus sees it at all. At all. The truth is, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I believe all three see us as full time missionaries. Some of you uh, will remember this phrase that I've used a few times before, that the only difference between you and I is the way in which God routes our paychecks. So honestly, friends, if we believe, if we all believe uh, this, yes, thank you, Lord, we have been justified and saved from hell, and, and then just go and live our lives as we choose for the sake of our own ends, that we will miss out, I want you to suggest an, an important takeaway today is you're going to miss a really important transformational period in your life. I mean, think about it this way. Aside from sleeping, most of us spend eight to ten hours a day doing what? Work. <laughs> and, and, and the reality is if, if during that period of time when, when you're doing that, if there is no loving your neighbor, as you love God. If, if there's no modeling of the fact that I'm following Jesus here, and by the way, as I'm following Jesus, you may want to tag along and, and come with me as I follow Jesus, which is what followers do. They make disciples and make disciples. And, and, and that's what the going is all about. If, if in that eight to 10 hour period of day, nothing of that is happening, friend, you and I, if I'm in the work world, are missing out on eight to 10 hours a day of transformation, progressive sanctification just won't happen. So let me ask you honestly, I got a couple of takeaways for you to pray about and think about this week. When was the last time that you saw what you do for work as both your calling and your personal mission field? When was the last time? Honestly. Honestly. So, as we conclude today, let me tell you two stories quickly about two men that I, I have known in my life. Men who uh, understood their calling as image bearers of God and modeled this better than anyone I've known. The first one, his name is, I'm going to call him Jack, because his name's Jack. <laughs> I, I met Jack many years ago when I was in full-time ministry for the first time in my life at Union Gospel Mission. And uh, if you know Union Gospel Mission in downtown east side of Vancouver, just down the road from it is the UGM thrift store. And I met Jack because he would be coming along with the, the truck that I believe he used from his office furniture job delivery company, and, and he would uh, do pickups and deliveries for Union Gospel Mission's thrift store. And, and, and what he would do also, though, is he would take men from the drug and alcohol recovery program who had completed the drug and alcohol recovery program, and he would hire them on to work to do deliveries for the UGM thrift store and, in some cases, for the office furniture company that he worked with. I noticed a couple things about Jack when I met him. He always had on dress pants with, with, a, with, a, with a crease. He always wore a dress shirt. Now, some of the guys who were in the truck with him had on t-shirts and blue jeans, uh, but Jack always looked like he was all business. Jack recently retired after 61 years 
as a volunteer with Union Gospel Mission. There's a profile of him done on uh, the website of Westside Church in Vancouver that celebrated this man. Can you imagine the conversations that took place in that truck on deliveries every day? I am positive from my knowledge of this man that he could have easily gone on to be the president of the office furniture company. But no, this is his mission field. And he made a lot of disciples. Janice and I met another man uh, at a church we went to in Langley before moving here. Had a tremendous testimony. At one point in his time in life, he had a very, very successful um, landscaping business. Very successful. Um, at one point, he had uh, started doing landscaping work in South Vancouver area of a, a very wealthy home of a very famous rock star in Canada. I won't mention his name. Um, and they became friends and they became associates. And through that relationship, uh, this fellow became a drug addict, starting with cocaine and various other terrible things. He ended up losing his landscaping business and his wife and his children and ending up in recovery. He recovered. And I remember Janice and I went for sushi with him and his wife, his new wife at that time, in Langley, and he wanted to run this new idea of a business he had past us, because I was a marketing guy, I wanted some feedback. And anyway, he, he laid out this, this idea of he was going to start a new landscaping business again, which at first I'm like, careful. <laughs> but no, he said, here's what's going to happen. We're going to work in the Fraser Valley, and I'm going to go to Wagner Hills, uh, the drug and alcohol recovery uh, place in, in, uh, out just outside of Langley, um, what I call Wagner Hills, and I'm going to get men who are on the drug and alcohol recovery program and have graduated and who need work. And this is good work. And I'm going to hire them. And we're going to start a landscaping business. And I, every once in a while I see uh, on Facebook the, the success of that business. And he's still doing that to this day. Two examples. The question I'd leave you with today, all of you, is this. Would you pray this week and ask yourself this question? What would be keeping me from seeing my eight to ten hours a day like that? What might be the reasons why I might not see my calling as part of my vocation in that way? Our calling is, at the end of the day, the way of being that is most listened, best for you, best for us, and best for the world. It's what the late pastor, theologian Fred, Frederick Buckner meant when he said these words. I love these words. I leave them with you. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets. Friends, may I suggest this again? You process that this week. You process that this week. And you pray. And you ask the Holy Spirit to show you how you can be salt and light. You can be disciple makers and fulfill your calling in your vocation, in your parenting, in whatever you're doing for the majority of your day. Let's pray.